This podcast is brought to you by Knowledge at Wharton. For more information, please visit knowledge.wharton.upenn.edu. There is a potential nasty lawsuit that says that former Google executives who went to work for Uber were involved in a plan to take proprietary information with them in order to help their new employer. Waymo, which is the uh, arm of Google involved in driverless technology, cited one former executive as taking volumes of data when he left Google in January of 2016. And it highlights the contentious world of driverless technology right now as companies race to be the first to perfect it. We welcome in John Paul McDuffie, professor of management here at the Wharton School, also director of the Program on Vehicle and Mobility Innovation at Wharton's Mac Institute. And also with us is Sharon Sandine, who's a professor of law and director of the Mitchell Hamline School of Law's Intellectual Property Institute, which is based in St. Paul, Minnesota. John Paul, great to talk to you again. Sharon, welcome to the show. Thanks. Thank you. Great to have you both with us. John Paul, this is, these are pretty serious allegations going forward. Uh, and the fact that they specifically picked out an employee, uh, really, uh, it speaks volumes right at the outset. Oh, yes. This is a big deal. Um, and, you know, people are already starting to compare it to the giant lawsuit between Apple and Samsung in terms of the kind of scope of the accusations and, and the implications of it. Uh, although that was a suit about design and this is more about the you know the the utility of their lidar design but yeah i mean anthony Lewandowski, very key early google employee in all of their software development for autonomous driving you know the first thing he did was go off and start uh, this this trucking autonomous trucking startup auto uh, but then very quickly sold to uber and and maybe that was the plan all along was to move uh, into Uber and help them become a competitor of Google in this space. And Sharon, I guess the the question then becomes: Is Mr. Lewandowski working there for so long and being involved in so many uh, of these uh, developments that uh, that Google was trying to bring forth? Uh, the, the the line for I think many people is: Where does the the work that he was involved in end, and, and the company's uh, proprietary control of this information begin? Well, that's always a question in trade secret cases like this, and most of them are like this. It's mostly a former employee leaving to either go to work for a competitor or create a startup. But I think there's a lot more of this this particular story because, um, as I understand it, he founded an early company, uh, 510 Systems, that Google bought, which really helped to um, launch uh, Google's efforts in autonomous cars. And so it seems like he may be, you know, he may be, he was just doing that again. Um, and the question is, not only did he, in fact, take information, but what was the nature of that information that he took? Well, and, and I guess if he had started this company, you know, several years ago, and he probably was involved in the development of, of some of this technology before that it, it went to Google, uh, he obviously has a, a, a probably a wealth of knowledge. But the concerning point on this, uh, Sharon, is the fact that Google is claiming that he took so many documents and and gigabytes of trade secrets with him when he when he left the company. Yes, and there's an important distinction in trade secret law, though, which is that employees get to keep their general skill and knowledge earned over time or learned over time. And he 
you know, obviously he went to UC Berkeley. He started working on this technology um, dating back to at least 2004 um, and then worked on it at this other company before, um, you know, Google bought that company in 2011. So there's at least, uh, you know, a, a great body of, of information he probably had. Um, what I would want to know, um, the allegation is it's 14,000 some odd documents. Um, what exactly did those um, comprise? I mean, it was some of it information that came, you know, from earlier work that he performed or even research that he performed at UC Berkeley? I think that's going to be a key inquiry in the litigation. So even with uh, his original company uh, being bought out by Google those years ago, he does retain some control over over the data that he actually brought into that relationship with Google. It, will, it would depend on the uh, terms of the deal when he sold out to Google. Um, and one of the things that I think might be happening behind the scenes that we don't know of is if, if he... When Google bought 510 Systems, they should have obtained a uh, non-compete agreement from him. That, even in California, non-compete agreements that are in connection with the sale of a business are enforceable. And so I'm wondering if what happened is that non-compete agreement expired, mm-hmm. and then this uh, then happened, and they decided to bring this lawsuit. Well, and John Paul, I mean, obviously, this is an, uh, an arena right now, as we've had you on the show before, uh, driverless technology, and, and I think I, I put it in the right framework at the outset of this, that this is a race to be perfect, the first to be perfect right now, and get this uh, get this down uh, so that it's, it can be used on the roads uh, all the time, and, and uh, this is a this is a big fight going on with a lot of different companies right now. Yeah, absolutely, and and you know, there's so many unknowns about it. But one thing that does seem likely is that having a lot of different systems that that operate very differently um, will make it harder to achieve the goals system wide of you know reducing accidents and deaths and and all of the other kinds of savings. So. Whether it's regulators that take a stand on saying, you know, we need to have uh, all the algorithms following these standards or be validated by these kinds of tests, or simply competitively someone gets such a lead that they become the de facto standard, um, that's what's going on. And so, and you know, it's interesting. Uber, when they when they decided to uh, buy this trucking startup, Auto, which included Anthony Lewandowski. they said, you know, this is an existential threat to us, that if, uh, if Google ends up dominating the self-driving car market, uh, that's it for us. We have to jump in now and be able to harness this technology to our business model or, or, we're, uh, or, or we're not going to survive. So, yes, so very, uh, you know, race to be first and kind of existential stakes for other things that we might not have thought of in terms of autonomy, like Uber's business model. And, and like a lot of things going on now, when, when you're talking about the development of technology, it's it's seeming like since this is so new and it, it's developing as we see it, uh, the understanding uh, at times where the legality part of it is may be kind of lost in the middle. Well, right. I mean, there's there's a, a thicket of um, both unregulated areas and states jumping in with laws about what's going to be allowed in terms of testing on state roads. Federal government's taking a kind of wait and see and has issued some broad guidelines 
Um, Uber characteristically uh, jumped into piloting their self-driving technology in Pittsburgh, um, you know, getting some broad support from the city to do that, but without any other uh, kind of legislative okay. And they've tended to do that in general, uh, not worry whether the what they're doing is legal, but jump in and prove it and and then uh, figure they can deal with the consequences later. So, and and I I recall also from the time that Uber um, bought out the auto startup uh, that Anthony Lewandowski was reported as being a bit frustrated that Google was slow in deciding to take the big step of commercializing all of the experimenting and piloting that they had been doing, going right. back longer than anybody. And that him going to auto and then Uber was his desire to say, you know, this technology is ready. Let's get it out there in the road. Let's get it going. And of course, since he left, uh, Google did decide to create Waymo as this separate subsidiary, which whose entire purpose is to now commercialize these things. So so this is another kind of dynamic in the competition here. From what I understand in reading these stories, it, it, it kind of deals with, uh, I guess, a, a, an email, John Paul, that was that ended up on the desks of Uber that, when it probably shouldn't have, and also the circuit board that I guess is involved with this LiDAR system, correct? Yeah, so LiDAR is an absolutely key technology. Um, it's not unique to any one supplier or provider. Uh, but it's hugely expensive, and so getting it to be both super accurate and cheaper is a huge race now. Ford made a half-a-billion-dollar investment in a company called Velodyne, which makes LiDAR. Um, there's this company in Israel, Mobileye, which makes LiDAR and, and camera and other sensors. And um, so the accusation is that, yeah, that they're actually Uber and is stealing what was Google's design for LiDAR, both hardware and software. So, I mean, I think what's interesting is, uh, and, and I'd be curious to get Sharon's view on this, it sounds like probably what's often hard in this, these cases is to get some evidence, some hard evidence of the actual stealing of something proprietary. So here we have uh, email that went to a supplier from Uber, and then somehow somebody at Google got it, which showed, you know, we want you to build the circuit board for us. And Google said, that's our circuit board design. And so that's their first hard fact that they can center this whole lawsuit around, plus what they know about the, the files download. Um, so I'm, I'm thinking that that piece of evidence does help the strength of their case. Sharon? Well, I find the case very curious because... Um, According to the facts, uh, he left in January and, and, in, and in a surprise move. And normally, at least the best practices that are developing now, is that's the point at which you would have a forensic um, computer forensics experts come in to determine if anybody anything had been taken. Right. But according to the uh, complaint, they really didn't get suspicious until you know, like six months later. And then they got that particular email. So I find that very curious, uh, that why they waited so long. Well, wouldn't you think, Sharon, that, that with, with somebody holding the position that, that Mr. Lewandowski did, that almost that would be an automatic uh, as he was leaving the company? Uh, you, know, you, wouldn't, you wouldn't even think to wait six months at that point. Exactly. The best practices for trade secret protection now are to have both entrance interviews to prevent um, having any material coming in that would taint what you're doing in R&D. And so hopefully 
you know, from Uber's perspective, they did that. And second of all, you'd have an exit interview to make sure people weren't taking anything. Now, that might have, in fact, happened, but um, perhaps representations were made about the nature of the uh, information that didn't cause any alarms at that time. And um, and, and it was only later um, that they decided that there's some issue. Would but, the, but the critical th- well, two points. One is there's also a patent. Uh, there also are patent infringement claims here, right? And I think that's really important because um, whenever you have patents and then the the technology is essentially disclosed in the patents, when you try to make a trade secret claim, you're basically going to have to identify information that's not disclosed in the patents, and that's what. Um, Waymo is really trying to do, and they're really focusing on two types of information. One is kind of the back office processes that wouldn't be visible, you know, to to people even in a commercial product. And then the second was uh, has to do with supplier lists and manufacturing details, which can be trade secrets, but in the grand scheme of this litigation, it's probably not the most important information. Is there part of this, Sharon, that also when you're that number that we discussed before, that 14,000 potential documents that that may have left, is there part of this that also could have been, you know, some of that content that Mr. Lewandowski was taking with him could have been stuff that, that he had from his original company years ago that he claims that he still has control over and figured that he would be able to take with him when he did this new startup, Auto. Yes, it could include a lot of public, uh, publicly di- disclosed information. You know, when I used to litigate these types of cases, you know, I would always ask the defendant in this situation, what information files did you have um, before you went to work for this company? Um, and a lot of times it was in the nature of, like, books on their shelf and, you know, research papers that they collected over the years and that kind of thing. And so it's possible that some of that, um, the 14,000 alleged documents uh, that were taken, was that type of information. Of course, what happens in trade secret cases when you have um, evidence of nef- nefarious behavior, as uh, the complaint alleges, you can cr- create a picture that there's something wrong here um, that has a lot of power, and it's up to the defense attorney, defendant's attorney, then to um, indicate that. Well, wait a minute. All he really took, or most of what he really took, was just what he had gathered before he went to work um, for Google. Well, how will this co- how will this case play out? Most likely, in your mind. Well, there's two scenario, two basic scenarios. One would be some sort of settlement with cross-licensing, which is a typical uh, situation, um, in particularly in industries that you know where the companies could each benefit from sharing of information. The other would be you know an all-out war to see who would who, who's going to win. Well, John Paul, I would think right now the potential for the latter of that. It, it, it may be a, a pretty good case, considering the fact that, as you both have said, uh, and you've talked about in the past, uh, the the battle to try and be the first to really perfect uh, driverless technology is a very heated one right now. Well, it is, and I, I gather that one possibility 
as a as a um, a process step if it ended up being all at war is that Waymo would seek an injunction against Uber continuing to use the technology that was alleged to be stolen until the case is settled. And obviously that would be a huge dilemma for a huge problem for Uber to have to, you know, for all sorts of reasons, they would stop getting the data. They would stop learning what they're trying to learn as well as just the, 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 the public perception of them not continuing to be uh, a lead innovator in this. Um, I do think it sounds like the, the effort in the Google Waymo lawsuit is to try to create uh, a story of, of some nefarious intent because they seem to be suggesting that Mr. Lewandowski was meeting with Uber even before he left to found the precursor company to auto. Anyway, there were some set of agreements about compensation uh, payments to him as he left, and then he got those payouts. He founded auto, perhaps auto, which was said to be for trucking, looked like it wasn't so directly competitive with anything Google was doing, and that right. may have been part of why Google wasn't so worried about it. And auto had only been in existence a few months and had done, you know, one sort of big publicized thing, which was a self-driving uh, truck taking beer deliveries um, for Budweiser. Yep. yep. Uh, and then uh, all of a sudden, boom, Otto is bought by Uber, and Lewandowski is working full-time basically on the Pittsburgh with the, current, with the Pittsburgh Uber team to launch that. I don't think he's done, been doing anything with trucks. He's been making the experiment work. So, so anyway, I think that's what they're going to try to say, that this was basically a plan for him to go to Uber all along, and these other steps were deceptions. But this all comes from from two companies that, uh, and you can take us back on this, John Paul, a few years ago, Google and Uber were, were working together on, on a lot of this technology in, in the early portions of, uh, of the time frame, correct? Well, I don't know if they were working together on the technology, but they were closely allied in a bunch of ways. Google was an investor. Uh, in in Uber One, uh, Google uh, executive David Drummond was on Uber's board. Uh, when you opened up uh, Google Maps to request a route, you would be offered Uber as an option, uh, and you know, including a, a here's a discount to join Uber right now and try it. So Google was hugely helpful in in Uber's growth of customers, and I think each of these developments has strained that relationship more and more. Uh, I think that uh, David Drummond resigned from the board of Uber as some of these conflicts became known. And now Google has announced, uh, Waymo has announced a new car car sharing uh, app that's tied to their navigation and traffic system, uh, Waze, W-A-Z-E. Yep. Um, and that's a head-on competitor uh, with a slightly different twist um, to Uber and Lyft and the like. I mean, this is more to persuade people who have a regular commute, just regular folks driving to work, to um, occasionally uh, agree to take a passenger and earn a little money and get a little company. So uh, sort of a new, new, newfangled version with more security of the old, uh, old hitchhiking model. What potentially is the impact in your mind on, on Uber? 
uh, in this case, because the, the, the reporting on this says that the, the the value of the content that Mr. Lewandowski may have taken with him is somewhere in the tune of like $500 million. Uh, most people would say, wow, that's a, a whopping amount. But when you have Uber that has a valuation of some $70 billion, uh, it's, it's, it, I hate to say it's a drop in the bucket cause it's really not, but it, it is quite a bit less than the valuation that Uber has right now. Right. Well, I think there's a few dimensions. I mean, Uber has been getting a bunch of bad press lately, um, right. and, uh, accusation that they're stealing secrets from another company, uh, whether it's true or not, will fit into a bit of a, a, a problem they have with their public image of, of being brash and aggressive and not worrying about rules. Uh, as they go forward, um, they would hate any kind of injunction to stop them using this technology. That would make me think that the first option that Sharon described, some kind of settlement, would be very much in Uber's interests uh, to do you know sooner rather than later. Uh, however, they have announced um, when when this was first the lawsuit was announced last week, Uber basically said. Hmm, we'll have to take a look at this. So they seem surprised by it. Um, as of today, they're saying this is a completely unwarranted lawsuit. Yeah. It's ridiculous. We're going to fight it to the death. So maybe that's a, a, a posture. But um, you know, we'll have we'll have to see. You're right. Given the financial uh, kind of stakes, you might think that Uber would want to settle. Sharon, I, I, in terms of the, the the content that is potentially involved here. Uh, what would a settlement mean on the content itself, I guess? Well, you know, one thing I wanted to point out that I think relates to your question is that under trade secret law, you know, independent development of the same, what 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 might end up being the same technology is perfectly allowed. Yeah. Um, and so the, the problem that Uber has um, with Mr. Lewandowski being involved, particularly going over to, I guess, Carnegie Mellon or wherever it's the... Yeah, the at Carnegie Mellon University, yep. Yeah, where the research is being done is there's a potential of, you know, basically tainting that research. Um, so they have to be very careful to keep, uh, you know, what might be trade secrets that that Waymo owns separate from from his own general skill and knowledge. And usually that's done through what's called a clean room type of strategy where you keep everything kind of separate. Um, and, you know, I couldn't imagine a scenario where a sophisticated company in this type of situation wouldn't um, make that happen. Um, but I don't know um, if it happened in this particular case. Great to have you both with us. Thank you, Sharon. Thank you, John Paul. We'll talk to you soon. Okay. Thank you. Thank, Thank you. you. All the best. Bye-bye. Sharon Sandine from uh, the uh, Mitchell Hamline School of Law, their Intellectual Property Institute. Uh, they're based up in uh, St. Paul, Minnesota. And also our friend John Paul McDuffie uh, from the Wharton School, director of the program on vehicle and mobility innovation uh, at the Mac Institute. For more business news and analysis from Knowledge at Wharton, please visit knowledge.wharton.upenn.edu.